Welcome to Mystical Musings, November 17th, 2013, here in the library of the Colorado Heights University, beaming out from the highest point in Denver. With Myron McClellan and myself, Lawrence Phillips. Those of us who identify as spiritual but not religious, who are non-sectarian and non-denominational, are the fastest growing demographic of the sacred communities in America today. Thank you for joining us today, for creating our community of mystics. A community of mystics who are comprised of people seeking to obtain unity with God, the breath of life, the gentle whisper, the great spirit. As a community of mystics who believe and know spiritual apprehension of truths that are beyond the intellect. I am because we are. I am because we are one, celebrating body and spirit. The new era offers us an opportunity to call for joy to be our basic state of being. We are deeply supported in this request by the evolution toward light that so many of us are experiencing, at least at some times. This state of joy does not eliminate times of challenge, frustration, or impatience, nor does it erase all fear, anger, or grief. Despite the exuberance we can feel in a moment, we are still living with the illusion of separateness, and that causes pain. The question we address in this musing today is how to face dark times in a way that preserves the underlying state of joy and ultimately contributes to the expansion of consciousness in ourselves and in the world. Sustaining presence. There are so many ways to explore that sustaining. One of my favorite that so many of you responded to last time so positively was to sustain presence with the singing bowl. One of the best ways to develop and sustain presence is to become aware of our embodied living, our sensing and feeling and moving. 
the other two primary metafunctions of thinking and spiriting can sometimes get disembodied. So we focus on the embodying functions. So check in for a moment. If you can allow yourselves to be in open position, uncrossed with legs or feet or hands, arms. And noticing, just noticing, not doing. Noticing the feelings that you come in with, the emotional feelings. What do you start with today? Noticing the thoughts as they begin possibly to subside. Noticing your sensations. The place that you feel the support from the earth, your feet, your legs, pelvis, back, your hands upon your own body. All these places of fundamental support. And with each breath, slightly deepen the exhale and wait for the urge to breathe. And with each breath, ever so slightly, as you're inhaling, you're letting your spine oscillate you enough so that you come just slightly above the horizon. And on the exhale, slightly below the horizon. So you're oscillating from your pelvis up through your spine, and your head responds last, ever so slightly, so gently. Noticing how your back lengthens as you come above the horizon. As you come above the horizon, consciously letting go of your jaw, softening in a place where most of us tend to hold. So lengthening, softening, and deepening the breath. Noticing what arises when you make these very subtle changes. Other sensations, other emotions, perhaps some thoughts are triggered. Noticing the quality of the movement as being as easy and comfortable and fluid as possible. And so it is as if the Great Spirit were to make an unscheduled appearance at our mystical musing. And if lo the Lord on high decided to pay us a visit and we wanted to acknowledge such an extraordinary presence, how about a round of applause for God? Now that sounds to me like a round of applause for some cardinal in the Vatican. Um, this is the great spirit that is present here and now. This is manifest the one. Is it tepid? I don't think so. How about amping it up just a little bit and finding a little more energy with that. Right. One more time.
Wonderful. Wonderful. Now feel your hands and bring them toward each other. Don't touch. And let them just come toward and away. Now some of you will feel that energy. In time, most of you will feel the energy. Just keep practicing. And so you notice that you have this energetic that gets awakened with your applause for the great spirit. And so what you might want to do now is to bring that energy towards your heart. And again, just gathering it from the great spirit and bringing it into your heart. Gathering it and bringing it in. One more time, gathering it and bringing it in. When you gather, you're, uh, you're oscillating above the horizon. And this time you come down to the heart and then give it down to Mama Gaia. Just give it down to the earth. So from the heart down to the earth. From the heart again down to the earth. And from the earth up into the great spirit, down to the heart, down to the earth. And then just hanging out at the heart for a moment. And my hands are still tingling. A bunch of you with your nods are telling me that you are too. So it's a tool of energy sensing that's very helpful. Namaste. So today we're going to talk about joy and the dark times. And um, I was kind of in a dark space this morning, tired from a very intense work week and nostalgic about the wonderful vacation that we went on. And then I come in and I see all of you and there is so much joy, I can't even contain it. <laughs> so here's my first suggestion for how to deal with darkness and return to joy. Be with people you love. Thank you so much for being here.
As you know, I like looking for incipient evidence, evidence for positive transformation in a culture dominated by a media that seems so intent on negative orientations. So I scour the media, my media, that I get to look at each month, and I found some gems. First one is from a recent Time Magazine article. Remember when we thought that there were no other planets that would sustain life like the Earth? That was a pretty dominant scientific paradigm. We all had it in mind. No way, can't possibly duplicate that. Well, a recent Time Magazine story noted a recent scientific paper that the number of existing planets that are similar in size and temperature to the Earth are 8.8 .8 billion. <laughs> I haven't personally met an ET, at least that I know of. Perhaps there is one amongst us now. But with 8.8 .8 billion planets, isn't it just a matter of time? I'm just saying. <laughs> More incipient evidence for this extraordinary time of transformation. And recently on the cover of the Sunday Style section of the New York Times in early November, a headline caught my mystic attention. The headline is mindfulness at every turn. Like yoga before it, a word, mindfulness, reaches the height of trendiness on the tongues of TV stars, executives, and even techies. Reporting on a seminar called Wisdom 2.0, the author notes the leader beginning with, let us come into presence. It's catching on, getting, getting around. Right up our mystical musings alley. The wait list for Wisdom 2.0 run into the hundreds. Trying to keep technology from swallowing us whole is the primary motivation for integrating awareness, spiritual, vibrational learning with the onslaught of tech in our lives. People are tired of taking orders from Siri. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Siri is the disembodied voice in the Apple iPhones. Something's got to give, and integrative holism is providing some answers. Meditators coming out include George Stephanopoulos, the rapper 50 Cent, and even Lena Dunham. Even Rupert Murdoch recently tweeted, trying to learn transcendental meditation. Everyone recommends it. Not that easy to get started, but said to improve everything. <laughs> Rupert. <laughs> even the Marine Corps is testing mind, fitness, training to help soldiers relax and increase emotional intelligence. The Marines never thought this was even remotely possible. Corporate behemoths like Aetna, General Mills, Target, Nike are all encouraging employees to sit and do nothing. <laughs> Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Buddhist leader, is credited by many with bringing mindfulness to the West saying, the most precious gift we can offer anyone is our attention. The article goes on to acknowledge that the benefits of mindfulness, which we think of as presence, has been verified in hundreds of peer review studies. 
Companies like Goldman Sachs and Farmers Insurance hire presence teachers to teach techniques like pausing before sending an email and silently wishing happiness to a difficult coworker. Acknowledged in this remarkable article is that many in our culture are desperately seeking ease. Much less stimulation or entertainment, ramping up a desire for non-doing, attempting to reconnect with ourselves, with others, and with nature. Indicative of the amazing unfolding of the mindfulness presence meme in our society are the headliners of recent Wisdom 2.0 events, the co-founders of Twitter, Facebook, eBay, PayPal, but also including the chairman of Ford, a congressman for using mindfulness to transform education and ending world hunger with the aid of social media. One tech leader says, to be more successful in accomplishing more, I must first slow down. Mindful presence is making the rounds amongst the movers and shakers, truly incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. I think by now all of us know that our lives go from feeling beyond joyful to feeling so contracted that it's hard to bear. And we find ourselves often wishing that it was just the light that we lived in. That darkness go away. That pain and illness, frustration, confusion, sadness, anger, fear, were not a part of our lives. And some people, many people, writing about the new era we are co-creating, sound as if that's what they want, to move away completely from darkness and live only in the light. That is so not my vision of what we're moving toward. Moving towards something else, which I want to talk about today. But before I do that, I want to talk about this rhythm of up and down. And to say that were that rhythm not so, were it true that it was only light all the time, we would not be creating anything. 
creation comes from taking the dark and doing spiritual alchemy with it so it becomes something full and we move forward and we experience something we haven't experienced before. Were there not challenges personally and collectively, we would be back in the womb of the mother, father, God. Now, of course, we want to be back in that womb. However, we want to be back in that womb, satisfied that we have created something, that we have gone from that, from that wonderful state of eternal bliss and gone out on our own and created a reality, the physical reality that we live in, the free will reality that we live in. When we are there, just in the womb of the mother, just there, we don't know that we are feeling emotionally safe. We don't know that we are filled with joy. How would we know? This is the reason that we left that. While we left the garden, while we left home to see what can we do to create something that we are proud of and create a way of knowing our joy, knowing our peacefulness, knowing our love, and rejoicing in it. So life for the light worker, which includes all of us, is about this constant, constant alchemy of turning the light, turning the dark into the light, and then growing from that in a way that we couldn't without it. Now, I don't think I'll find any disagreement here if I say that so much of our learning has come from those times of fear, anger, sadness, grief. So much of our learning has come from our failures. So much of our learning has come from betrayal, frustration. And it strengthens us, strengthens us, so that if we can go into the dark with enthusiasm. The way we go into the light, then we are making a difference not only in our own life, but in the life of the collective, in the life of everyone sharing this planet and this reality with us now. So one way that we use the dark feelings of fear, anger, grief is to turn toward them, surround them with love, 
and feel them just as deeply as we can. And then we have the energy of that feeling added to us. And it is so encouraging. Because if you can say at the end of a day of nothing but fear, fear that you turned toward, that you integrated, that you took into yourself, then at the end of that day, you can say, hey, 12 hours of fear, good work. We know if we can stand up to our fear, if we can stand up to our anger, if we can stand up to all of these things, it makes us taller. If we allow ourselves the grief that's going to come to us, going to come to us, because we're going to have loss. We're going to lose friends. We're going to lose parents. We're going to lose our pets. We're going to be heartbroken over and over and over again. And if we're not we cannot fill our hearts with love. It's only the broken heart that can fill with love. Only the broken heart. Now we talked about the presence process the last two times. And what he says, the advantage of feeling the dark feelings are, the advantages are, one, what I just said, it strengthens us. We take on that energy. And then we also, he says, honor the magical inner child in us by honoring its woundedness. Because all of those feelings he maintains that are deep and painful come from our earliest years here, come from the wounded child. And since none of us has perfect parents, since that doesn't exist, we are going to feel wounded. But if we turn toward those feelings, and we have to be mature to do that, we have to be brave, we have to have courage to do that, because it doesn't feel good. Fear doesn't feel good. Grief doesn't feel good. Anger doesn't feel good. But if we will feel them and feel them into our depths, into the depths of our heart, these feelings, then the child, the wounded child, has one more moment of awakening to its own magical self. So what Michael Brown in the presence process says, up until we're seven, we are totally in the present moment. And those of us who have children, have watched children, really know that's true. They don't have a big plan. They just are, and they live in the moment, and they live in spontaneous joy. They live in presence. And then what happens, Michael Brown says, is 
that we move from presence to pretense. He says around seven years old because we want to please mommy and daddy. We want to please the teacher. We want to please our peers. And so we go around readjusting ourselves so that we can try to please everyone who comes into our life. And to do that, you don't even have any sense of a central self. You don't have any sense of who you are. It's all pretense. And when you're in pretense, you're not in presence. You're not in who you are. So that's another reason for honoring the reality in which we have both dark and light. Now, one of the things I believe is as we do turn toward the dark feelings and the dark moments and participate in them, we are letting the emotions flow. And that's what they want to do, right? They want to be in motion. That's why we call them emotions. They want to be flowing. We, they want to be in, in the flow. Now, one of the things Brown doesn't say, but that I really believe, and this is totally speculative, just so you know, this is just my idea. As we allow our, lesson, our feelings to flow, I think two things happen. One is that piece of fear that we just integrated is taken out of the collective. removed from the collective. So there's less fear. And the second thing that I truly believe is that a lot of the ills of the world are caused by unfelt feelings and by clogged feelings. They can't move. They can't flow. So then we're in fear and then we're in the ego because then we have to say, if you're not a Buddhist like me, right, you don't count. They, we take refuge in beliefs and again move back to pretense and we're not present. And in the other one, we move into the ego, which is the result of clogged emotions. So as we do our work as light workers and and try to get these feelings moving again, because what happens if they don't move is that they fester. They just get worse and worse and worse. And they do that in the collective as they do it in us. And so it's a service that we offer as we honor the dark parts of our lives by including them by bringing them to us. And this is one of the reasons why I think it is the job of the light worker to do this emotional balancing, to do this emotional work, because you can't do it really effectively unless you know in your heart that it is a benevolent creator, it is a benevolent creation, and that ultimately everything works out. And that's what I mean by joy. 
returning to joy, to the knowledge of the divine presence. That gives us the strength to move out and be afraid. Why? Because we brought back in. Why? Because it's happening for a reason. Why? Because it's for our best good and for the good of the planet. How do we know that? Only one way. And that is by the grace of the creator, by standing in the grace of the knowledge of the goodness of God and the goodness of creation. So far from leading us away from joy, it can lead us to greater joy. Now, do we, so I'm not talking about joy as a feeling, I'm talking about joy as a state. If you read our invitation, it's a state of joy. It, it contains the feeling of joy, but it's the state of joy because joy is a knowledge of the presence of the creator in your life. That's what joy is. Now, are you going to feel that in great times of fear and anger and sadness? Maybe not. But you know somewhere deep inside yourself that it's all happening for a reason and that joy will return. It will return because that is our basic state. It's the way we were born. Look at your kids, right? Have you ever seen such joy? Is a toddler moving around, running through the house squealing with joy, right? And that's what we uncover in this process as we move, as we honor the inner child by feeling the inner child's wounds, we move back again to that magical child, which is what we really want, is to be spontaneously creative, to be full of joy and life, and most of all, to be who we are. Not pretending to be anything that we're not, being who we are. So this alchemy, this ongoing alchemy of turning a dark experience into light, it gives us strength. It gives us the knowledge that there is something beyond the ego. It gives us the knowledge that we're not in control, that that's the illusion. And as Carl Jung says, if we don't get wounded, if the ego doesn't get bruised, then we'll lead a well-adjusted plastic life. And we, we really don't have any depth. And of course, that's happened on our planet so that many people are entranced because they're so afraid of feeling. And because they don't know the good news. So as we do our inner work, as I say, it really reaches out and moves through the collective. I mean, really, honestly, I love what Lawrence was talking about, about how these people who seem so with their heels dug in 
And what they want is to make money. It's not even fashionable anymore. It's really moving to being mindful and meditative, and that's very fashionable. It's very chic these days. <laughs> so, so as light workers, we are really doing our job, honestly. Now, again, creativity comes out of moving through dark and through light. And we automatically, I think, almost always automatically um, think of the dark as something really negative and unredeemable. So we have a very dualistic perception of light and dark. Dualistic. So I think that the thing that we're ready to learn now, if we haven't, is something that really came clear to me on this road trip that Lawrence and I took. We love the road trips because, first of all, we get all those hours together of pure conversation, the pure sacred conversation. It's always a mystical experience for us to get on the road. And as we were driving through South Park, which is stunningly beautiful, and having this amazing elevating conversation, there was a moment when my perception shifted in this way. There are these beautiful mountains, there are these gorgeous trees, there are beautiful lakes. It's just stunningly beautiful. And then, in the midst of all this, there is a broken down billboard or an abandoned car, rusting farm equipment, And in this state of perception, to me, one thing was as beautiful as the other. One thing was as beautiful as the other. It was all just God's grandeur. It's a different manifestation. Peggy and some of the others will remember that our teacher, Cora Bell, was a farmer's wife, as I've told you, gave her sessions in a little shack. And the first time I went there and was kind of sitting in the room waiting my turn, I was surprised because she had these gorgeous art objects that were brought to people from all over the world who came to see her. So, I mean, stunning sculptures, beautiful paintings, 
gorgeous gem-encrusted things. And then there was a plastic Jesus and a really ugly plastic um, black elk, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, what have I gotten myself into here? What is this about? So <laughs> I had my session, four-hour session. The other person didn't come for some uh, unknown reason. And at the end of the session, that black elk was as beautiful as the hand-carved Madonna. So it's not about moving where there's only light. It's about shifting our perception so that we see the beauty, the stunning, amazing, heart-opening beauty of everything that is and everything that happens. This is where I think the new era is bringing us. So we celebrate the dark and we celebrate the light and we're pleased that we've created a difficult, poignant, beautiful, magnificent, reality in which we can do this alchemy, where we can shift our perception and where we can grow into the place where we see the beauty and wonder of all our works and of all the works of the Creator. That's what our hearts want. That's what our hearts want, I think. That's what I think. Namaste.
would like to share with you some spiritual gems from Alchemy of the Heart by Michael Brown, the author of The Presence Process. Just a few, but they sparkle. We are in the midst of a planetary rite of passage, which is inviting us into deeper presence with the authentic embrace of personal responsibility. We are still trying to do collectively what can only be accomplished individually. We are still trying to do mentally and physically what only the heart can accomplish. We are still trying to feel better when we are now being asked to get better at feeling. So we have been encouraging and asking you today to get curious about what you might reflexively push away. Get curious about what the darkness has to offer. So cultivating curiosity. Since coming into the experience of the body brings us into presence faster than many methods, the strategies of taller, softer, deeper. Taller spine, softer face, deeper breath. Our strategies for dealing with the darker times. So even as we listen right now, just thinking that slight oscillation in your spine, just thinking it, no overt action, just the subtlest of openings, while sensing a softness in our faces, especially the jaw. If you can't let go in a given spot in your body, then slightly tense it and then let go so that you have the experience of being able to release. One of the best tools that we know of comes from the Buddhist tradition called Tanglen. So as you're oscillating in the least oscillation possible, inhaling the darker sense, taking in and receiving the darkness and breathing out the light. It may be a particular darkness for you or just a generalized sense. But as you're breathing in without resistance, opening and allowing, opening to the darkness, 
and exhaling a sense of light. The same Tanglen with some sense of fear, just receiving in without fighting, without tensing. Some fear. And exhaling wisdom. Some learning that comes from opening to our fear. And maintaining the Tanglen theme of allowing this to come into our hearts rather than pushing away. Opening to some sense of frustrated anger. Breathing it in, allowing it to be there without judgment, without self-criticism, just allowing this frustration and breathing out some image of action, translating the frozen anger into some positive action. Breathing in anger, breathing out action. And lastly, breathing in some grief, some deep sense of sadness, allowing it, giving space to it, embracing the grieving. As you exhale, gratitude and a deepening presence. And as we complete today, we complete in giving thanks for that time is upon us. Opening to whatever gratitude has arisen and holding it dearly and deeply in our hearts. Thank you to ourselves, thank you to the Great Spirit for our creatively being at our growing edges, for being curious about meeting the challenges as well as the rewards. Giving thanks for love in its many forms, for the magic of Myron's music, for the mystery of healing and persevering courage in the face of darkness.
giving thanks for the extraordinary experience of the light upon the earth. Giving thanks for the immense charity that radiates in our hearts. Giving thanks for this day, for our growing capacities to love and to learn and to grow. Namaste, namaste, namaste. I honor the place in you in which the entire universe dwells. I honor the place in you which is of love, of truth, of beauty, of light. When you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, we are one. Namaste. And so if you would please stand and hold hands as much as we can. So let us take the joy that we feel as we come together. Let us take the gratitude that we feel for all of our blessings. Let us take the light that we know guides our steps. Let us take the beauty of the Divine Presence and send that to those suffering in the Philippines, in Syria, in Darfur, and wherever else there are suffering people. Let us send them our light, our love. Let, let us embrace them. Let us let them know that they will be taken care of by a benevolent mother, a benevolent father. We send them waves of love. And now we let go our hands and take this beautiful energy into ourselves, anchor it in our hearts, anchor it in our bodies, bring it into us so we can go out and radiate the joy, the light, the wonder of creation. God is, we are, so be it, it is done.
Namaste.